Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, oops. There. Now I am live on all of my stations. <laughs> A little technical difficulty there. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, this is a new episode of A Voice from the Ever Change uh, Meditation Program. And today I will be discussing impermanence. This will be a Dharma talk on the topic of impermanence. Uh, and my next episode, which will be uh, after the weekend, on either Sunday evening or Monday, wherever you are tuning in, on that episode I will actually guide a meditation uh, which allows the meditator, the practitioner, uh, to experience impermanence in a very visceral way. Now the reason why we do those meditations is because we can talk about impermanence until we're blue in the face, but uh, knowing it in a logical way is much different uh, than knowing it in a visceral way. And so impermanence is one of those things where I find, and, and many other teachers have found, uh, that it's really necessary to embrace this in a very visceral way. That's how we can alleviate the suffering uh, that arises from impermanence. Now in the Buddhist tradition, impermanence is considered to be one of the three marks of existence, or the Dharma seals, as it's known in some traditions. Uh, those are uh, impermanence, non-self, and suffering. Now in some of the later Buddhist schools, uh, the three marks of existence are impermanence, non-self, and nirvana, or awakening, or enlightenment. Uh, so there's a, a couple of different uh, opinions on that, I suppose. Anyway, impermanence shows up in, in both of those uh, views of the marks of existence. Now, if you were following along in my last series, uh, Such Sweet Thunder, where we brought mindfulness to the breath, the body, uh, the experience of sound and silence, uh, we then opened our eyes, we took in the visual experience with mindfulness, uh, then we brought mindfulness to our emotions, feelings, and then we turned a heightened sense of awareness and attention in on a self, our ego. And in doing that, we notice that this fixed permanent I that seems so real is actually a state of ever-change experience. It's a state of ever-changing stories and memories and anticipations that we continually uh, invest in. And that's what gives us this experience of I. So here you can kind of see where impermanence and, and the teachings of non-self connect or meet. And so I thought this would be a great segue uh, from mindfulness, that type of mindfulness in the Such Sweet Thunder practice where we bring that awareness to this ever-changing I. And then we expand out and we'll start with the external world, experiencing the external 
changes that are always arising, always fluctuating uh, within our experience. Then we'll come a little bit closer and experience the ever-changing field of physical reality, the body, not the physical reality out there. We do that in stage one. So we'll, we'll spend a week on stage one, maybe longer, depends. And then maybe a week or a little longer on stage two where we experience all of the change in the physical body. Then we bring our awareness closer again, much like we did in the Such Sweet Thunder practice. We bring that attention and awareness in on our own inner dialogue, our beliefs, our values, uh, and our truths, our likes, our dislikes, and we reflect and contemplate the change that happens on that level. So this might, you know, take uh, for the Facebook Live episodes or Instagram, take maybe six weeks to unpack all of that. So enjoy the ride. <laughs> so a little bit about myself here and why I started doing uh, the Facebook Live episodes, the Instagram, and so forth. Well, I was, uh, had just moved or just relocated again back to Northern Thailand. I was in Chiang Mai. Uh, this was in February, February 15th, actually, the day after Valentine's Day. And I had been teaching uh, Buddhism and mindfulness on a cruise ship, Celebrity Cruises. Uh, we're doing the Asia tour, and this was the fourth year that I had been doing that. And I, I was on the ship uh, while the coronavirus outbreak was really exploding through Asia. And so we were grounded as a result, and I was sent home back to Thailand a few months early. Uh, so I was in lockdown in Thailand. I managed to get out of Thailand. I went traveling through uh, Myanmar for a couple of weeks because they had no outbreaks in Myanmar. I thought that would be a good place to go. Went there, did some sightseeing, saw some beautiful temples. If you haven't been to Myanmar, definitely worth a visit. Uh, cut my trip about uh, two or three days early because uh, they were sh closing the borders between Thailand and Myanmar. So I slipped under the gate about, I think I made it with about six hours to spare. And I went back into lockdown into my apartment in Chiang Mai. And, you know, watching the news, having to order all my food, uh, meditating a lot. But I was feeling a lot of despair. And so one of the instructions that I've taken to heart uh, in my training is to take this experience, these negative experiences, what we call negative emotions. And I put them in quotations because there's actually no negative feeling or positive feeling. It's all just what arises. But this despair was arising, this what uh, some might call negative. And the idea is to recognize that negative feeling, and before we react to it, 
before we fall into despair, before we, you know, fall into depression or tears or anxiety, take that emotion of despair and transform it into something positive. So rather than, you know, falling into that pit of despair, of why is this happening? How can, you know, how can this happen to our world? What am I going to do? You know, all of that, those despair-based beliefs and thoughts, instead of following that, transmuting that into something positive. So I thought to myself, how can I do that? How can I help? What can I do to help this situation? And so I started these Facebook Live sessions as a way of trying to elevate the vibration, trying to bring the teachings that I've been studying for now 35 years uh, to life for people so that they might find benefit in these teachings. So that you all, my viewers here, if you're falling into despair, perhaps these teachings on impermanence can be of some relief, of some benefit. And, uh, so I started doing these daily, now I'm doing twice a week, but I started doing these daily uh, reading from a book that I wrote called A Voice from the Ever Change. Now that book is all about impermanence, as you might have guessed from the title there. Uh, then I went through the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, and joy, healing, healing qualities for the heart, for the mind. Now, coming back, we did the teachings on mindfulness, non-self, and we're back full circle to impermanence. And so that's, that's why I'm doing this, as a, as a way of hoping that I can help my humble offerings here. Now, talking about impermanence is kind of a dicey game. Oftentimes people get really, you know, dark or dismayed by the thought of impermanence. You know, people want a permanent fixed place. In fact, when the Buddha attained his enlightenment experience, uh, he, his recollection of that, he says, you know, he's had this awakening uh, to a twofold ground, that of the ever-changing reality, and that's how uh, we suffer due to our emotional reactivity. Those were the two insights that led the Buddha to his teachings. But then he says, you know what, people won't understand that because they delight, revel, and love their place. He says, it will be hard for people to understand these concepts if they delight, revel, and love their place. That permanent, fixed, solid place. So he was pointing out this idea that the human species uh, has this desire for a stationary, safe ground. And he saw that that was causing a lot of emotional reactivity because there actually is no 
solid, fixed, safe ground. We live in a world that is ever-changing. And so there's this tension there. And so the Buddha said we don't have to live like that. We can recognize that we actually live in an ever-changing world, an ever-changing universe. And once we actually viscerally come to that recognition, we ride the wave like a surfer. And then there's no more fear of this ever-changing state because we've come to embrace it as the natural course of things. And when you think about it, impermanence is really what makes everything possible. Everything that we know is here because it was able to grow or evolve from something in the past. I mean, if we really had this state of permanency, we'd all be infants uh, living in caves, <laughs> uh, not able to communicate or talk. Uh, we'd be babbling at each other. Um, or, or even, that's even taking for granted that the human species would exist. We'd probably still all be energy, right? If everything was permanent and, uh, and we lived in a solid, fixed universe, then we wouldn't even exist. None of this would exist. So it is this state of change, this state of impermanence, that allows everything to be. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, it is death that allows life. Now, in this series here, I won't go into the death and dying practices. Those are very deep and very delicate. And the Tibetan tradition, the, the meditations on change and impermanence, uh, culminate in meditations on death and dying. Um, but uh, those are very delicate practices and not to be done without the guidance of a good qualified teacher. So I won't be offering those here. If you are curious about those practices, I do teach those on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, setting. Uh, so if, you'd, if you're curious about the meditations on death and dying, uh, do send me an email. We can set up some uh, sessions and have a talk about that. Okay, but first we're gonna start with change. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, we're going to start with change in the external world. External change. So there is a great story, a great story, <laughs> there's a story that I like, uh, which comes from the Zen tradition uh, of two Zen monks, and they're watching a flag blowing in the wind, perhaps on the mountainside, uh, seeing this flag. And they're, they're, monks get into a debate on whether the flag is changing, flying in the wind, uh, if that change takes place in the flag or in the wind. And so this is a, 
used as a meditation device in the Zen tradition? Where does the change take place? Is it in the flag or is it in the wind? And the deeper a student reflects on this and meditates on this, it becomes clear that actually the change doesn't take place in the wind or in the flag. The change takes place in the perception, in the experiencer. The change takes place in the nervous system of the two monks who are observing the flag flying. So where does the experience of change take place? This becomes quite important in the concepts, or in, I'm sorry, quite important for the practice of impermanence. Because as we go through and contemplate the changes in the world, changes in our country, in our life, we continually come back to this question, well, where does this experience of change take place? We know that the mountains change, they erode with wind and weather. But where does the experience of that change take place? We know that the weather patterns change, climate change, storms getting more severe, fires, land mass being born through volcanoes, so forth. But who experiences this change? Where does this experience of change occur? You might think it's in the weather, or you might think it's in the volcano. But the experience of change takes place in the experiencer. And so as we go through the practice of contemplation on change in the world, we'll keep returning to this pointer question. Where does the experience of change take place? Now, I use the phrase pointer question this is a common term in Tibetan meditation practices. Pointer questions aren't designed to be answered with concepts or verbally in the mind. Pointer questions are designed to guide your awareness deeper into the meditation practice. So when you pose this question, where does the experience of change take place? Then allow your mind to rest with that question and allow the question to guide your awareness. And so in doing this, your awareness or your experience comes to a place of non-conceptual realization. And this is the place that experiencing impermanence matters. Again, we all know that things change logically. 
But when we know it in the heart, when we know it as a non-conceptual experience, that's when our life and our relationship to life starts to change. We can embrace our life with a newfound gusto and vigor because we no longer fear change, but we welcome it. And so as we go through the practices, I'll just outline the meditation here very quickly. Uh, we start as far away as we can imagine. We start by contemplating the galaxies, the stars, and the planets. Now this is where the contemplation starts. We, we actually take about 10 minutes following the breath, feeling the body coming to the present moment. That's how the meditation actually starts. But then in the contemplation, we contemplate the stars, the planets, the galaxies. Now we know uh, through technology, through the telescope, through these wonderful astrologers and astronomers who have studied the stars and the galaxies, that the planets are moving through space at dizzying speeds, hurtling through space. In fact, the Earth circulates, moves around the Sun at a dizzying speed, moving at, I think it's 20 miles per second. So each second, the planet moves uh, at a great distance, each minute. It feels so stationary, right? It's one of our, one of one of the ways our nervous system uh, tricks us. Um, we'll talk about the nervous system and how we, how our nervous system creates a sense of permanency. I'll talk about that a little later. That's one of the realizations uh, that we come to in the practices of impermanence. Okay, I digress. So we're meditating on the galaxies, the stars, the planets, all of the change that happens on that level. Now planets might take eons to change, hundreds and hundreds of years. And asteroids, they might run into each other, smashing each other into space debris. There might be a star that explodes into a black hole which sucks four or five planets into its gravitational pull. There might be other changes that happen out in the galaxies and the stars, different uh, rotational patterns happening, as we know that happens in our own solar system. So all of this change that's happening out there in the celestial bodies. Then we bring the contemplation closer. We contemplate how the planet Earth is changing the oceans, the mountains, the hills, the lakes, and the rivers, all fluctuating, again, in different time structures. Oceans might take centuries to change. Mountains, too, uh, fluctuate just an inch or two over the course of uh, several years. Uh, but lakes can dry up and refill and 
dry up again within the course of a few months. Rivers walk. They'll be here one year, two years, five years, and then you go back to that area of the woods 20 years later and the river is over here uh, on the other side of another tree or something. All of the change that's happening there. We also contemplate plants and trees and shrubs and grasses and meadows, how all of the forests change. Now we're seeing a lot of that at the forest fires, knowing that the ash that comes from the forest fires, that death and decay will fertilize new plants will give rise to new life. One of the most extraordinary things that I saw was I went to the top of Mount Edna in Sicily uh, one year, uh, and as a result of the volcanic ash, these uh, new types of plants grew as a result of the nutrients in the volcanic ash that landed on the top of the volcano there. So even material that seems so uh, ridden with death and decay can give birth to new life. We then begin to contemplate the animals and mammals, birds, fish, insects, reptiles, how all of them has it have evolved. Now there are many evolutionary philosophers and theorists who believe that humans evolved from fish that these were once fins, and maybe in 500,000 years, these will be as unfamiliar to us humans, these hands, as fish fins are to us now. So we contemplate all of the change that's happening there. Species have gone extinct. New species are coming into being. There are now catfish that have legs that can walk. Amazing. They don't walk very far, just walk up onto the beach. They have little lungs. They can, they're amphibious. They can breathe air and breathe underwater. So there are these new evolutionary turns happening. Uh, they've now discovered that dolphins respond to personal names. That might be an evolution in human detection devices, we might have new technology, but it also might be that dolphins have recently developed that skill. That's evolution, that's change. We then bring our contemplation to the human species and we contemplate change that has happened in empires, countries, nations, and governments, changes in the Roman Empire that was so huge and powerful and then crumbled. Now it's nothing but rock. Athens too, the Parthenon, the Acropolis, these icons of prosperity uh, that lasted for centuries are now nothing but rubble. We contemplate how this is the natural state of affairs, that empires arise and crumble. Countries are born and the, the borders change, the languages change, the cultures change, the fashions change, the rules change, the uh, political ideologies change. This is the nature of life as human species. 
Then we contemplate the weather changes, how the weather patterns have changed in long-term cycles and short-term cycles. We recognize the seasons, how uh, in Thailand we have hot summer, and then it gets a little cooler, and then we have this rainy monsoon season, and then it comes back to the dry season, and then it's a nice cool winter. That's in northern Thailand. In southern Thailand, it's basically hot, hotter, and hottest with some rain season there in that. And in North America, you know, you have uh, spring, uh, summer, fall, winter, all of the seasons with these beautiful changes in the leaves, snow on the ground, uh, into this beautiful spring where uh, people are outside enjoying the sunshine in droves. Not now, be careful, wear your mask if you do that. And, and then summer heat, uh, where you have this uh, you know, intense uh, summer. And so these are the seasons, taking that in. Then we contemplate, we're still going here, <laughs> We contemplate the changes that are occurring throughout the day. And you can just watch outside your window and you can see how the, the shadows change and shift as the sun rises throughout the morning, midday, into dusk, how the light changes and how the, the shadows are long and then even and then long again, like that day-to-day -day changes. The morning bird songs with the crickets sound different than the afternoon bird songs, then the traffic starts, and then people are starting to talk throughout the day as uh, they walk by the apartment and so forth. Moment to moment change in our experience. And so there's a scale there, if you notice. We started as far away as we could imagine and we came closer and closer and closer and closer and closer into our own experience of our day-to-day -day reality. Uh, keeping in mind uh, that this change is happening all of the time, reflecting on the changes that, that happen in a minute detail and the changes that happen over years, decades, hundreds of years, centuries, so forth. So contemplating all of the change. Now, the first week's meditation stops there. We stop there at that change in the world. We allow that to really settle, settle in to our nervous system, that the world is in constant state of change. Now, we let that really steep in our nervous system. We, we embrace that. And then we come a little bit closer to meditate on change in the body. Contemplate how our hair changes. I know once upon a time I had lots of hair. <laughs> that seems to be gone now. Uh, our hair changes. Uh, in whether you opt for uh, the shaved head as I did or your hair turns gray or falls out, your hair changes. It become thick to thin, the color of your chair, the, the, the hair, the texture of your hair. Nails change, your bones change, your skin changes, your weight changes, uh, so forth. And 
the organs change, the way the organs feel and cha uh, change as well. Our dietary habits change. And so we meditate on the physical changes of the body. And we actually do this in five-year increments. We start with how our body looks and feels like now. And then we compare that to what our body looked and felt like five years ago. You'll notice some change there. Actually, that's quite a bit of change for me. I, I'm in uh, different shape than I was five years ago. I know that for myself personally. And then 10 years ago, well, that's a lot of change, actually. Um, so myself now, for myself 10 years ago. And keep going back in five-year increments. And that's how the second stage of the meditations on change and, and impermanence unfold. Now, the third stage, this will be week five and six, approximately, in the series, we turn that attention to our own beliefs, our values, our truths, what we consider to be beautiful, ugly, and so forth. And we, we contemplate that, again, in five-year increments. We recognize or we examine what we hold to be true and valuable and beautiful now, and then we compare that to what we held to be true, beautiful, valuable, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and so forth. And so it, it unfolds in those three stages where we meditate for a week or two weeks on the external world, the universe, the stars, to planet Earth, to our neighborhood, to our day-to-day -day change. Stage two, physical body, our gross physical body, recognizing all the changes on that level. Stage three, our own ego. How that changes, how that is in a constant state of change, just like everything else. And so that is the practice of impermanence. So I hope you all will join me as this uh, uh, six-week approximately series unfolds. I say approximately because I might add more episodes if there are questions that come in, concerns, uh, things you'd like for me to discuss or talk about. Uh, and if there are questions, please do send them along. Uh, you can send them through Messenger, you can post them on the comments at the end of the video here. Uh, happy to address any questions that arise for you. Uh, so that, um, yeah, feel free, please. I, I enjoy to receive those. So in conclusion, I would like to sum up uh, this talk by again starting uh, or going back to where I started, uh, talking about how I started on these talks on these offerings um, as a way of helping. Now I have found these meditations on change and impermanence to be quite profound in the current world situation. 
There's so much change happening. And so many things that we're hoping will continue to change, right? I mean, I know myself, I went through a lot of change in the past year since the coronavirus outbreak. It's been almost a year now. Lost a couple of jobs, lost many students. And so recognizing that even the things that we thought were so permanent are quite impermanent. And then all of the changes that are happening that we hope will continue to change. <clears throat> the incredible division that's happening across the world, and particularly in the United States. Politically, the incredible divide, racially, the violence that's happening there. This won't last forever. This racial tension, this racial divide, this political tension, this political divide is impermanent like everything else. And so if you feel you're falling into despair, Remember that you can take that feeling of despair and transmute it into something productive, into something that reflects love or compassion or joy or equanimity. If you're feeling despair about the current political crisis in America or in any country that you're in, Use that despair wisely. Transform that despair. Don't react to it. Don't feel that despair and react emotionally to the despair, but take the despair and call a senator. Take that despair and have a conversation with somebody about what's happening in your environment. How can we change this for the better? If you're feeling despair about the racial divide, take that despair and don't react to it emotionally. Don't get violent. Don't get depressed. Don't get uh, despondent or filled with apathy. Take that despair and educate yourself on racism. How can we move forward for positive change? How can we capitalize on impermanence? We know that everything will change. And if we fill the present moment with compassion, we fill the present moment with love. 
We fill the present moment with joy. Then the next moments will be predicated by that. Now, of course, we can't control what other people do. We can't control the things we encounter in our life, but we can control our response to those encounters. And if we're filling this present moment with equanimity, loving kindness, joy, compassion, wisdom, we'll meet those encounters with those qualities. And in doing that, we can capitalize on this ever-changing world we live in. And gradually, we influence this field of ever-change. And so I think that's all I want to say today. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a new episode of A Voice from the Ever-Change Meditation Program, Dharma Talk on Impermanence. Please do join me on Sunday evening uh, in the West, or Sunday evening in Americas, whether it's North America or South America, uh, or Monday morning here in Asia, where I'm located. Uh, join me for this, and I will be guiding our beginning meditation practice on change and impermanence, so we can begin uh, to really experience this on a very visceral level. Have a great and wonderful weekend. Please do stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, practice your social distancing, wear your masks, and uh, we'll get through all of this together. Thank you.